Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why, the podcast is all about digging into big questions and tricky topics via honest conversations. This week we're going to be looking at sobriety. Today's guest is the founder of the Sober Girl Society and she's a journalist. She's written for Elle, Stylist and the Evening Standard as well as being featured on the BBC. Not only that, she's the author of the Sober Girl Society Handbook. At this point, I always feel the need to pick up the book and show you, but that is not good, yeah. given that people, A, you know what the book like, and B, for the listener, they can't see it. But anyway, it's an empowering guide to living hangover free. So without further ado, let me introduce to you Mela Gooch. Hello, Millie. Hello. Oh, thank you for that introduction. I always get really embarrassed when it's, people like real things. It's, it's absolutely excruciating. And actually, to be honest, on the last couple of series, because it's so embarrassing, I ended up doing it not kind of in the in the podcast session but then actually it's quite nice to to have that kind of roll into it so we put it back in but I always always sit here like with my hands in front of my face if someone's doing one of those about me which yeah which is terrible isn't it you need to kind of own your achievements which are amazing oh thank you but it is it's like oh my god I can't hear that about myself awful absolutely awful so I'm going to start with three important questions before we get deeply into it how are you really? And we just had a chat off mic, so I don't know how you're going to answer this. <laughs> how am I really? I'm okay. Like, I'm okay. I wouldn't say I was fantastic. I've recently gone through a breakup and a big life change. Um, I've just turned 30. So I'm not going to say this is where I thought my life was going to be at 30, suddenly like single and starting again, but I'm okay. I'm here, I'm alive, and I'm happy and I'm healthy. So yeah it's fun and actually we're going to dig into that a bit more in a minute because i think there's some interesting things in relation to sobriety also what star sign are you and what is your favorite biscuit i am a leo oh yeah uh, i think i'm quite a typical leo as well i've been told my favorite biscuit is there's like a fox's chocolate crunch one i think it's a very popular one and that is i can't get them too often because like there's no moderation no. there whatsoever it's like a packet so I'll tell you the truth I love the ginger cream and the crunch cream I've never had the chocolate cream but I can only imagine <gasps> that I will have some don't start don't start because that'll be the end it's the it. middle bit chocolate the the creamy bit. yeah with it these are like a chocolate cookie but they're like crunchy as well they're soft and they're crunchy they've just got the whole like repertoire it's quite a, we're recording this podcast at like half 11 this is actually quite a peak biscuit time I would say maybe you should have biscuits on the podcast, but then you just have crunching. But that sounds like a great yeah. choice. I'm going to look into that. And I'm now going to ask myself throughout the podcast whether you are a typical Leo. How much into astrology are you? Do you know the rest of your chart? I'm I, I flitting in and out. Sometimes I think, yeah, this is really truthful. And then other times I'm a bit skeptical. I swing between skepticism and full belief. So, so I think I'm a, I think I've got another Leo in there somewhere, one of the rising or something. And then I want to say Libra. I think it might be all the L's. Okay. Okay. So Libra moon, maybe. Does that ring a bell? You I'm don't not know. sure. It's one. It's one of the two. But I have done my birth chart before, but I've clearly not taken enough. Of it's fine. I mean, I I sit in a place of wanting to think it's a complete rubbish, but I'm actually quite deeply into it. So that <laughs> that is where I'm at. Yeah. So for the listeners, this um, podcast is quite emotional for me because I had um, Millie as a guest on Honesty podcast, actually in my first series of Honesty in February 2019. And I'm, well, she now knows because I've told her many times, but unbeknownst to her, that conversation, along with a follow up conversation with, um, Dave, I don't know what his Instagram handle is now, Dave, who was so yeah. My conversation with Millie was the thing that transformed my own kind of perspective on my relationship with booze and we recorded the podcast in February and I gave up drinking in the May because she was the first person I had ever spoken to who spoke about alcohol in in the way that I was experiencing it so to give people some context talk about how long you've not been drinking for what led you to give up drinking yeah a little bit of context to, to where you're at 
Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I won't go into the the full story because we could be mm. here all day. But I really started drinking when I went to university, which is actually quite late in British terms. So I wasn't really like a 14-year-old drink at the park. I literally started drinking when I went to university. And I loved drinking. It was so much fun when I first went to uni. And also, I felt like it brought out this like, really confident side of me that wasn't necessarily always there. Um, but over the years, I kind of was drinking for fun. And then suddenly, I was drinking to cope with emotions and mental health. So I really started struggling with anxiety and depression. And so I drank more to kind of cope with them. And then my drinking just got steadily worse. And it was really hard for me to kind of put it as like problem drinking, because I'd only ever been told the problem drinking was waking up and putting vodka on your cornflakes or, you know, secretly stashing booze. Whereas I could go a few days weeks even without drinking and then it would get to like the weekend and I would have had a hard time and I would just go out and get absolutely paralytic blotto drunk uh wake up the next day with the most horrendous anxiety fear fear what they'd done what I said and that kind of permeated my everyday life because these hangovers and hangover anxiety were just lasting like three four days and then by the time I felt normal again someone would go do you want to go out for drinks I'd go yeah go on then so I got myself into like a real binge drink spiral and also kind of a bit of a shame cycle because I was feeling awful about the things I was doing that didn't really align with who I thought I was I was feeling bad about the things I was doing and and just didn't really feel like me but the only thing that kind of made me feel more like me was drinking because when I felt insecure and low I thought well if I have a drink I can plaster on that smile and you know be the funny person and the center of attention and no one will know that actually inside I'm hurting quite a bit um, and then it got to about February 2018 and I basically went on a night out. I don't remember much of it. And I got woke up in the morning, horrendous fear, fear, horrendous anxiety. And something just switched in me. And I just said, I just don't think I can do this again. I, it wasn't like one wrong, like rock bottom. It definitely wasn't the worst hangover I'd mm-hmm. ever had and probably hadn't done the stupidest things that I'd ever done. But I just thought I can't do this anymore. So I downloaded Catherine Gray's book, The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. And I just loved it. And no one, it sounds really silly, but no one had ever at that point spoke to me about sobriety, like a positive. Everyone had always come from what you're giving up, what you're leaving behind. You wouldn't be fun anymore. No one had ever said to me, actually, sobriety could be really amazing. It could be really incredible. And I remember even like little things like Catherine was talking about how you tan better when you, when you don't drink because like alcohol depletes your, I think it's your vitamin B reserves and you need those like tan better. So even like these things when I was a 26 year old that like loved being orange really appealed to me and, and, and no one had ever spoken to me about it in that way. So I said, well, I'm, I'm going to give it a go. And then nearly, so it'll be four years in February that I haven't drunk for. Thank you. I mean, I'm, I, because I'm a bit close to the edge today, this is making me want to cry because like I just feel such a parallel story to you it's kind of it's I find it really difficult to know how to describe it because alcohol in the short term wasn't hugely detrimental dangerously detrimental to my health it wasn't going to cost me my job or my relationship however I the things that I was doing the way I was behaving as you say I, I woke up thinking who are you and what are you doing especially like we both are from media kind of jobs, so drinking was very much part of the culture there. And, and, and as I got more senior at work, I was like, you shouldn't be drinking like that. But all the drinking we were doing at the time for me felt very normalised. Uh, you know, at uni, I blacked out a couple of times a week some, in my, you know, my most hedonistic days, but so did other people. That was just like part of, oh, we've got memory loss from last night. And... And so it's very difficult because people, when you talk about the fact that you're not drinking, want to you to tell them that you were you had a, an awful drinking problem. And on the one hand, I didn't, but on the other hand, I fully believe as a society we've got an awful drinking problem. A hundred percent. I think as well, like I put myself in some scary so. situations, some dangerous situations, and the only person who actually ever showed any kind of worry about my drinking was my mum. And I think because the mum's worry anyway, but. 
not at not one point did any of my friends said I think you need to like pull it back a bit no one was particularly worried about my drinking which was worrying mm. so it is interesting and it would be I think I probably made it worse as well because we do this thing like after a night out of drinking where we like use self-deprecating mm. humor and I definitely think it's like a British thing as well and like I would wake up and be like oh no ruined my life again last night like, so I don't I think I downplayed the severity mm. of it like I could be absolutely crushed mm. inside and I'd be like oh god can you believe what I did and that almost turned it into jokes and it wasn't no. funny but the only way that I could like make it okay was to sort of like douse it in this humor and we seem to do that of like we see people in these awful states and we don't think oh, that's actually mm. quite serious we just laugh about yeah, it. Yeah I always think what I mean basically I don't go out very much anymore not because of sobriety it's from getting older but um I see people like on the tube kind of or on the train falling asleep drunk and it makes my palms sweat but I did that. You know, I missed trains, train stations on the way home. I woke up in other places. And at the time, I didn't think that was anything, you know, it's just one of the lulls on a night out. But as especially now as a parent or anybody, I think that's, it's absolutely terrifying. And I, yeah, I had so many scrapes. And, and did I snog people that I didn't want to snog? Probably yes, you know. And it is these little bits that you permeate. And do you say, do you tell bits of gossip that you wish you didn't tell? Did you make jokes that you didn't wish, wish you? Yes, 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 yes. But the problem is for me, I think that I spent a long time believing that the drunk Clemmy, the extreme extrovert Clemmy was me and that I was hiding it the rest of the time. That wasn't me. That, that was, a, yeah, a, a, bo- a boozed up version of me. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, they say, what is it? Like a sober. I can't remember the actual saying, but basically people think that the real you comes out when you're drunk and that couldn't be farther no. from the truth because alcohol affects like your prefrontal cortex, which is the part of your brain that is kind of responsible for like emotional response and rational decision making and knowing the difference between right or, uh, and wrong. So you basically are not yourself no. when you're drinking, no matter what, what people say. And I, I don't know about you, I used to like just saying the most random stuff that like, wasn't even true. I remember one time I was out in a night out and I said to my friends, oh, we need to get on that boat. And they were like, what is she talking about? Like, it's not, the truth doesn't no. come out. It's just absolute like random garbage. But we believe like that these things that people are saying when they're drinking are like the truth and that's the real them and that's how they really feel. And often that, that really is not and true. And also that thing of I... <laughs> Grew up in the era when of like the Ladette culture, and I really, you know, they were a bit all a bit older than me, but I, it, that felt like that the really rebellious thing to do. I want to be those rock and roll girls drinking pints and going and getting on boats and not knowing where you wake up. You know, that felt so glamorous and exciting. But now, I always think that for me, sobriety feels like the the, the rock and roll choice. You know, it is the rebels' choice. It's, it is breaking against the norm and actually you know you've got a lot of high profile people who are probably in that ladette culture who are now who now don't drink but it, it feels like a huge act of rebellion doesn't it in a good way yeah a hundred percent because you're going against something that is so normalized and you are like often the odd one out and you can choose to see that as very isolating and lonely which it can be or you can also embrace it as this like wow like it takes a lot of guts and strength to go like against something that is so normalized in our society it really, it really does and you know what i swing between both states often at the beginning of a night out and you're like oh i'll have a something else and i'm not going to drink and i'm not going to get that really quick access to relaxation i feel really isolated and then the moment i kind of walk home or i get into bed or the next morning you just i just feel this intense gratitude to myself like just yes you've made the right decision for you it's and I feel smug and yeah I do yeah 100% and I always say like even I mean nothing's linear really in life but the enjoyment of like a sober night out is not linear like sometimes I'll get there and I feel a bit awkward and then I think one thing I have learned as well is that it's not necessarily the alcohol that eases you into the situation. It's just that naturally you ease into the situation. Like I went to a drinks tasting a few weeks ago that was a non-alcoholic drink. And when everyone got there, first of all, you could tell everyone was a bit mm. awkward. No one really knew each other. We were all sitting at tables with people we didn't know. And then an hour in, it was really buzzy and it was really chatty and no one had touched a drop. And these weren't just sober people. These were people that normally mm. do drink and they come for this like non-alcoholic drinks tasting. And they, they even like pointed it out when they were talking about it in the speech and were saying, look, look how comfortable everyone is. Like, it's not booze. And we, I always say we give so much to booze, like so much credit mm. to booze that 
that we should give mm. to ourselves. Sometimes it is just a situation. And and sometimes, you know, I'll be having a few good hours on a night out. I'll be loving the dance floor. And then actually I get a bit tired. I'm like, oh, I think I want to go home now. Yeah, it's it's not linear. So, some parties I go to, I'm like, this is awful. Some parties I go to, I'm like, this mm. is amazing. I think the thing that you find out is that like good parties, good parties and bad parties, 100%. bad parties. And yeah, alcohol could make a bad party good, but you don't necessarily want to force it. Whereas, you know, you just work out what, what you like doing and what music you like. Yeah, and, and actually people say, oh, do you miss out on things? Well, number one, if I'm not invited to stuff because I don't drink, which may well happen, then they weren't the people who I wanted to hang out with anyway. Yeah, all those nights, that, if I'm honest, I might have gone to because there was free booze. You know, if if I need a couple of warm glasses of Prosecco to enjoy myself, then then I shouldn't even be going. So the fact is... When I do go out, I've, I've really, really opted in. And they, I only go to the really good the stuff that I know that I'm going to enjoy with, with people that, yeah, that, whose company I genuinely want to be in. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I could have partied with anyone that I was drinking. It didn't matter if they were friends, if I liked them. Whereas now I just spend all my time with people yeah. that I like and that I know I can get on really well with sober. So I don't feel like I'm ever forcing anything. But also I think um, with sobriety, you... I I think I feel like my body's learned to get those natural highs better. You have to sit with it. And a year ago, in, yeah, in a big gap in COVID last summer, which was brief, I went camping with a load of friends and I watched them all kind of get a little bit pissed and loose. And then I got there, but it just took me a couple of hours longer because my body had to kind of unwind, as you say, naturally. But the more it gets used to doing that, I think it, I think it does relearn it. Do you feel that? A hundred percent. And I think as well that you you actually get to experience more of those higher emotions because it's not just like sad emotions that we plaster booze over. It's the, the good ones as well, you know, like excitement. I think it's in Alan's car book. Like he always says he finds it really absurd that like when someone's like really nervous or excited before their wedding, they will drink because they can't deal with what is actually a really good mm. emotion. Like nerves are great, excitement is great. And we do that, you know, like if we've done something exhilarating, we're like, oh God, I need to have a drink to take the edge off. It's not just the bad emotions. So actually you keep those highs and you learn to to be able to deal with those highs as well and sit with the highs and not just the lows rather than being like, oh, God, this is too much and too exciting. And, you know, like when you're going on holiday mm. and, uh, I mean, I used to love an airport beer as much as anyone, but what I actually find is that I keep riding the holiday wave, whereas when I used to have a beer, I'd be like, oh, I'm relaxed now. But now um, it's still, like, excitement. I think you learn to sit with those, like, big exciting emotions that's as so well. true you basically take the edges of all the top and the bottom so yeah and yeah it's so true because I often find actually from doing podcasts and actually when I went out on a night out on the on the um on Saturday night and I woke up in the morning I said if I didn't know better I would think I was hung over now but you still get you can still get massive adrenaline drops because you get that that big high it's a it, there is something else that goes on but again you just have to wiggle through that which ties me a bit into a yeah you have just gone through a breakup which is I'm going to sound really cold now I've talked to Millie off mic but it, it's really it's really difficult but as you said because in sobriety you can't um hide from your feelings you feel like you're accelerating through the breakup process because you're you have to lean right into all of the emotions yeah 100% because I think all that drinking a lot of the time does is delay those emotions. Like you will have to face them eventually. They're not going anywhere. Booze isn't this like magic elixir that gets rid of your emotions forever. It just literally, I mean, I think you've used one of the best analogies where it's like a uh, comfort knickers where you like squash it all down, but it is going to like spill mm. out eventually. And I think that is the case where, where I haven't pushed it down and squashed it in, I've just let it flow. So, I mean, I spent the first like, week just like, absolutely shedding tears galore and now I already feel like I've started to feel better whereas I think had I been drinking I would have gone out probably on like a three-week bender of just going out every weekend getting absolutely plastered pretending the whole thing hadn't happened crying at 3am into some McNuggets whereas now I've actually faced it head on you know I've been really regimented about self-care and looking after myself and feeding my body what it needs and getting outside and and just being it sounds really regimented but like this a 
bit disciplined mm. with myself of like, okay, this is how we're going to do it rather than just like going into absolute chaos. And you 100% need distraction, like distraction and escapism are really important to us, but just some forms of distraction and escapism mm. are more harmful to us and will prolong the pain, you know, in the, in the long term. So, you know, I've been numbing out with trash chocolate. TV. I started watching Ready to Mingle, <laughs> yeah, chocolate, cake, all those mm. things. But just something that I particularly know would be more detrimental to me would be going out and drinking because also the next day I would just mm. <laughs> I just, I would be calling, I would yeah. be crying. I just know that it's not going to be good for me, but already I feel like I'm in a mentally stronger place just by getting through this without And it. as you touched on earlier, you know, that, the shame cycle of drinking, that, that I think was the bit that was the end of things for me. I knew for a long time, I knew I shouldn't drink. I knew it didn't agree with my mental health. I knew I didn't like the person I was being. But I carried on for social conformity because I didn't know how not to carry on. And then you wake up and you in regret. And if for you, you're feeling all these feelings that come with a breakup anyway, you load, pour a load of shame on that. And, and it's just explosive. And not only that, I always say to keep my mental health intact, I need to exercise. I need to eat all right. And I'm not talking green juices. I'm talking just not plowing sugar probably into my place. And I need yeah. to sleep and, and alcohol jeopardizes all three of those as well as being the fuel on top of it. And so, yeah, as you say, when we talk about self care, this isn't bubble bath. This is doing very grown up things, which is trying to, trying to move, trying to sleep, trying to, yeah, not plow awful food into our mouths. Yeah. It, it throws everything out of whack is what mm. I used to find is that even if I got myself into like a really good routine, and I think routine is quite important for me in terms of self care of like to make sure that I'm doing those basic things. You go on one bender and that whacks you out for like yeah. three days and then you have to try and get back into that routine, which can be really hard. Once you've spent the weekend, you know, eating three Domino's pizzas and cheesy chips for breakfast, it's quite hard to get back from mm-hmm. much today to like get back into that. So just like that consistency, I always say I think consistency is really underrated. It sounds no. really boring, but not having alcohol in my life has just allowed me to be consistent in every part of my life, whether that's work, whether that's showing up for friends, whether that's my mental health, it is just a lot more yeah, consistent. There is never that, oh, I can't do that tomorrow because of this. I can, every day is exactly, you know, a Saturday is the same as a Monday for me. It's the same as a Tuesday. And yeah, you know, I was trying, I always think of it a bit like just, you're just plodding along always. Like you've got, because if you str- struggle with mental health things or just life, which is constantly shifting the balance, already you know our whole life is about trying to get some equilibrium and and alcohol just just sends it haywire and it sends it haywire at the points when you you least need it to you know if you really check in with when you reach for a drink whether that's because you're riding positive emotions or probably because you're a bit stressed you know that friday night urge i'll probably never get over the kind of i want something to to mark the end of the working week but you just have to try and sit with that a bit and then before you know it, you've gone to bed and you wake up on Saturday and you're not trying to even out for the weekend you're just cruising into it yeah 100% and every time you get through one of those things and so it's almost like you give yourself like a mini gold star so it's like you're constantly like hyping yourself yeah. up because you do something really tough and then you're like oh amazing and I think that builds a lot of like self-belief self-confidence because the more you do do it the more you're like oh I can Mm. do this and you're constantly pushing yourself and constantly so it's not like you're living this like monotonous consistent boring life you're constantly pushing yourself and testing yourself and getting through it so I think that's really like commendable I agree and 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 then I'm going the little voice in my head is like oh here we go it's smug sobriety and you know what why do do people (laughs) talk about it but you know what I think I, I do want to shout about it from the rooftops because I absolutely, my idea of what not drinking was, was one of abstinence, of one of missing out, of of uh, life being a little bit more boring. And I just say it every single time. It is the single best decision I've made for myself as an adult, for sure. No doubt. It, yeah. It feels like a constant gift, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. And- I think it's really hard with the whole smug thing. Like if I came on here and was talking to you about 
you know, how meditation changed my life. You wouldn't necessarily no, be like, true. oh, super smug. You'd be like, oh, she's done yeah. something, improved her mental health and wants to share it with other people to help them. And, I, you know, I don't care if people drink. All my mm. friends drink, all my family drink. Like, I don't mind being around drunk people. Sometimes I actually, like, quite like it because I just ride off their drunk waves. I'm like, oh, if you're being drunk, yeah. I'll just act drunk. So uh, it's not I have anything against it. I don't turn my nose up at people. How could I? Like, that was me for so long. But... All I want to do is say, look, if you're struggling with mental health, anxiety particularly, mm. that was me. Drinking mm. made it worse. At the time, I didn't mm. realise drinking was made it worse. And maybe you don't realise either. So maybe if I can impart this wisdom, this might really change your life in the way that it's changed mine. I, I'm not trying to be No, smarter. I agree because, uh, yeah, I, yeah, anxiety shrunk my world for quite a while. And then, as you say, in order to unshrink it, I would drink because it was a, it seemed like a very quick fix and then it would come back worse and worse. And honestly, honestly, I didn't put two and two together. I did not go, my anxiety is terrible, you're drinking more. These two things are related. I, and even though my hangovers showed up as anxiety, I just, I just didn't join the dot. So, yeah, I really urge people just my starter would always be just to try it if you are in a patch of bad anxiety it'd be quite obvious to cut back on coffee for example but i i think it's miraculous the impact of not drinking alcohol on on anxiety yeah and i think it's it's really hard and especially hard because i think people sometimes stop and often it gets worse before it gets better because we're so often self-medicating mm-hmm. things like anxiety by drinking so when you stop all of a sudden you don't have that coping mechanism so you might actually think oh wow my anxiety is getting worse this is not good for me but actually what we do is we've got ourselves into a cycle of drinking to cope with anxiety which drinking exacerbates anxiety like it's very proven by science and then the next morning you know you're feeling anxious and then you drink again whereas when you stop you have to really like cut back on the cycle and eventually you'll get to a point where you do feel reduced anxiety but initially that can rise Mm. for some people so I would say like don't don't give up drinking for 30 days and then go well my anxiety's worse so this is a terrible idea like I always say 90 day period at least to really check in yeah I think so I think just think especially with 30 days like a lot of the time, especially if you do it in January, and I love dry January, so this is not me slagging off dry January, but I think in January, a lot of people don't really go out. You know, it's cold. You might not have to face weddings and all those things that you might have to do in other months. So it is like an easier month to do it because a lot of people are staying in, saving money. You know, Christmas has been expensive. So it's sometimes an easier month to do because it just is so I think challenging yourself to 90 days you're going to have like maybe you do have a wedding maybe you do have a party maybe you do have something to challenge yourself and actually understand how alcohol is affecting you and yeah I just think 90 days is a bit more yeah. of a, a period to kind of but it's so that. difficult isn't it because I know that 90 days would feel like a, a lifetime but I mean it's all those cliches but because everyone everyone when you don't drink go is it forever and to begin with, I used to really, really hate that question, actually, because it really is a one day at a time. I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink at the weekend. Probably the same and same. Although now, when you banked two and a half years of not drinking, I, I can't see a time when I would ever drink again. But that isn't to say, for me, yeah, no, I don't think I'll ever drink again. Do you? No, I, I always say I'm fairly certain, yeah. like 99%. And also, like... I don't know, in my head, I quite like certainty. So although I think at the start, I took it like one day at a time, I got to a point where I was like, okay, let's just make this a decision. Don't sit Mm -hmm. on the fence, just say this is a forever thing. And it's almost like it helped me to close the door. It's like closure on a relationship. You know, all the while you keep that door open, you never move on fully. So by kind of saying, yeah, I'm done now, Mm -hmm. that is it, me and alcohol are over it allows me to just concentrate on sober like lifestyle and how I'm going to get through the next, you know, 50 years out yeah. of free rather than focusing on, oh God, what if I want to drink then? And what if I want I to agree. drink then? For me, it was just easier. I don't, but I know that's not very fun. I know some people for 50 years need to take like a one day at a time approach, but I just got to a point where I was like, no, this is it, like call time on it. That's, now. yeah, it's really interesting because I used to be quite a heavy smoker and then I gave up and then after I gave up and actually only when I drank, I would occasionally still have a cigarette and I, it only ever confirmed to me that I didn't want to smoke anymore. But I did for a while repeatedly do that. And 
and again, as I'm talking about this, I know people who are in recovery who would say this isn't my journey, but I am fairly sure I could have a glass of champagne at something and that'd be that. I could put a lid on it. But as you say, what I don't want is the conversation in my mind. I don't want it to be I, actually at weddings now you have a you have a drink and a, whatever you have this and and then I know my personality type it, it quickly creeps back in and for me that is a, a risk not worth taking because because sobriety gives me so much joy I don't I'm also a bit scared I, I wonder if I have one drink whether that anxiety would come and smack me around the face again yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting. So there's like this theory that people are either natural moderators or natural abstainers. So some people would find uh, moderating easy. So, but people like me, I'm a natural abstainer. It's much easier for me yeah. to have none than it is to have one. Because if I have one, then the next time I go, I go, oh, I could probably have two now, actually. And then the next time I'll be like, oh, I'm going to have three. Like, I think it would start fine, but I think six months later when, you know, I'd had a really bad day and I wanted mm. to go out and I thought, well, I had that drink at that wedding, probably when I was in a good mood, then I'd maybe end up drinking in a bad mood and it would escalate. So for me, it's just easier and more freeing. Like, I think people think it's probably quite regimented to be like, oh, I'm never drinking again. But for me, it's actually, yeah, really freeing to be like, that's it now just close the door on it box it up it's done because if I start thinking about moderation it does give me more mm. anxiety and it is like well what if I didn't control it and what if I did like go overboard one night how would I rein it back in and it's just too much and I just I, I don't want that I like my life I don't know why I would want to risk the life that I've built over the last four years just for the odd glass no of I agree and a couple of things there that you said number one that it's easy for me to say I would have one when I'm level and part of the reason I'm relatively level is because of sobriety. That's exactly the point. Whereas if, yeah, I choose it later on in a left bad way, then that, that equilibrium, that scale just flips and yeah, it, it's no good. And also what I always think to myself, it's just, it's just a liquid. It's just a glass of liquid. I mean, isn't it absolutely bizarre? Yeah. Because people are like, oh, do, don't you miss a nice glass of red? I mean, don't get me wrong. I, although I obviously haven't had one for a couple of years, so maybe I won't love it. I can appreciate that that tastes delicious. But it's just a liquid drink. And and, and yeah. for me, that, that drink unfurls so much. So, yes, I, I can sacrifice that. Yeah, I think as well, like, I drank for, I mean, I was a binge drinker. That was the way I like to drink. So I always say for me personally as well, like one or two drinks doesn't even sound appealing. And alcohol-free drinks now I think are so good that if I really fancied a glass of Prosecco, I'd just have an alcohol-free one and it would probably be a spot. If I was going to drink, it would be because I would want to get, you know, absolutely out of it, which I don't no, want to do. No. So one or two for me is just so not worth it when the options are so good these days. And And that's another important point. When I was a drinker, I was searching for that blurry feeling, you know, that's always what I wanted, that hazy, chilled. But, and now I relish the absolute clarity. You know, you go on a night out, you go to a wedding and you remember every single moment, all the good bits, rather than just a kind of blurry sense of what it was like. Yeah, I'm the person who's like, oh, I loved the chair bows at your wedding. And everyone else is like, they're a chair bows. Yeah. And I'm like, and yeah, also, so. I'm the person who loved the pudding. When everyone else is too pissed and they've got up, and yes. like, well, I'm going to eat this pudding. I'm probably going to eat that pudding. And then I'm going to go and find the cheese board and I'm going to enjoy every single mouthful of it. Whereas everyone else is up and gone by then, haven't they? Yeah. I went to a wedding a few weeks ago, actually, and that was the exact <laughs> case. I was like, the only person who ate my sticky toffee pudding. And then, like, later on, they brought out, because they'd had a hog roast in the day, so they brought out, like, all these, like, pork bats. And no one was I'll touching them. Like, literally, no one was touching this table. And I was like, I will get through a few of those for you, don't I worry. am front of the queue. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it's so true. And the other miss, um, the thing I was confused about is when I was drinking, I assumed everybody else was pissed. I'd go to a wedding and be like, oh, my God, everyone was hammered. No, the hammered people are hanging out with the hammered people. In any given situation, there are people who might be ill, might be pregnant, might be trying to get pregnant, just don't like drinking. There are a whole bunch of people quietly sitting on the tables that I always thought were the boring ones. But actually, they're having really lovely, sober, connected conversations. And they're not looking enviously at you drunk people bagging around on the dance floor. They're having a lovely, like, yeah, a very different time, but a lovely time. 
Yeah. I remember when I first stopped drinking, I was like, oh, this is great because, you know, the shoe's going to be on the other foot. I'm going to be carrying my friends home. And then actually I was like, oh, okay. It turns out they don't actually drink as much as I thought they did. No, no, exactly. Yeah, they're all like, I mean, they drink, but I've never had to carry any of them home. Like, they're all relatively well behaved. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. My drink was actually that because you guys are quite normal. Mm, That's so true. That's so true. Yeah. Just that's a real, yeah. You always thought that you were kind of in a, you were equally drunk together. And if, yeah, as we're talking about the way we used to drink, the chances are we probably weren't. And also, I now think, wow, I hate the thought that I'd ever been any kind of burden to my mates. And I don't think they would articulate it like that. But it's a real responsibility if you've got the person who is always really drunk. Yeah, and I was always drunk and crying. It wasn't just drunk. It was like, oh, God, Millie's crying again. And I used to tell them I was horrible to my friends. I'm I'm shocked that they are still friends with me because I used to say, like, I remember they organised this really lovely birthday for me. It started in the day. It was, like, 6 p.m., went on until, like, 2 o'clock, and they left at 2 o'clock because they left at 2 o'clock and not, like, 4 o'clock. I had a go at them. I said, I hate you. You're shit friends. Honestly, I was vile. The next day, I had like a lot of apologising shit. And I like, I remember I re- they said I rang my ex-boyfriend. I was shouting down the phone like, they're the worst friends ever just because they wanted to go home at two o'clock like normal people. And now I'm like, oh, half past 11. Should wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, actually, I wasn't a crier. I used to injure myself. I used to bang into stuff, fall oh, over. Yeah. And I used to lose stuff. I used to lose my phone, my wallet, my keys, my coat, my... Yeah, just leaving it, the trail yeah. of destruction. But actually, one of the most important things for me in this side of my journey is my best mate said to me about a year down the line, Clemmy, I want you to know you are so much more fun now than you ever were when you were drunk. And I find yeah. that incomprehensible because I thought I was extremely fun when I was drunk. But, you know, when you're belly laughing, and as you say, other people's drunkness is very contagious. So, you know, I, I've learned to be silly in a way that I probably had forgotten how to do. But yeah, it's so pure. And there isn't that lingering shame or guilt or, yeah, no regrets. I'm, I'm just having a really good time in the, in just, and just having a good time. And it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I mean, you keep saying the word consistent, but it's like a consistent fun because when I went on holiday, like with the girls, there would be nights out that I probably was a lot of fun, but very drunk. But then for like two You're days miserable. after, I'd be like dying on a sunlight. Yeah. <laughs> like no one speak to me because I'm so hungover. Whereas now, I'm fun on the night out and then I wake up and I'm like, let's go get coffee yeah. and cinnamon buns. <laughs> like, it's a kind of consistent fun throughout. It's not Highs like and manically high and then, yeah, really low. It's just not. Nice. It's so true. And actually, holidays is an important thing because that's quite a milestone to get over. Although COVID has put, you know, scuppers on the holidays. But I, I love that when people don't realise when they get the post-holiday blues, I think a lot of that is a is a like come down from more regular drinking of course when you have a, a beer whatever time by the pool when you're having yeah, more alcohol than you would on that time when you're away of course when you come back to real life that's gonna bite you and I and I do find of course I'm sad when holidays are over but not in the same way yeah I totally agree I actually come back it's it's almost like it's what a holiday is I come back refreshed relaxed nice and glowy like I feel calmer I don't feel like gray and dying like and I immediately needed another holiday it's not like that it's actually like oh this is the purpose of a holiday I'm so interested about that tanning thing I've got I've got dark Mm. skin anyway but people talk to me about it all the time oh what you know what national what what nationality are you have you got anything else in you I haven't and I'm just but again, pretty healthy, I think, and outside quite a lot. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Do you think that it does increase your ability to turn? Yeah, apparently. That's what it's I'm going to go and read up about that in a minute. That's a- yeah. I mean, I think there's so many secret things that we don't realise like are better. I mean, the one I wrote about, so people get saying to me that like, cliche phrase of like oh your eyes are more sparkly and I just thought oh god they're all just like trying to be nice but when I looked into it so like in Chinese medicine every like organ is connected to like a sense 
and your liver is connected to your eyes. So in Chinese medicine, like if your eyes are like yellow or something, they think it's like a problem liver. with your liver rather than like your eyes. So I was like, well, that makes mm. complete sense because now that my liver huh. is clean and sparkling, maybe my eyes are brighter. Like, and I do think my eyes look, I've got blue eyes, but I've never really thought, oh, my eyes are really blue. They've always been more like, grayish blue but sometimes I look at my eyes now and I'm like they are really blue aren't they and I totally put that down to sobriety and having like a clear clear liver and also not nothing like shame and guilt and regret to take the to take the sparkle out of your eyes and for me when I've been in the grips of bad mental health you know it does it makes the whole world feel really a much more dull place and look this this, this isn't a um a surefire fix for mental health but it definitely has taken the the peaks of it out and and it's made me have to deal with my stuff so when I gave up drinking I I think it was Millie who said to me you know this first year you're on cloud nine you think you discovered something brilliant you feel you literally feel like you're seeing the world again don't you and you're just like this is the best thing ever and then year two and I'm now like two and a half years in you suddenly have to face all of your stuff, all of it, because it's just there, isn't it? You've got nowhere to hide. Like, oh, really? I thought I'd done quite a lot of therapy. I thought I was kind of self-aware. And you just have to yeah, keep living with that, which is, again, probably why it fixes some of the mental health stuff, because because you just have to, you have to deal with it, which might sound scary, but you don't want to spend your life numbing or everything, do you? Yeah, I just think it gives you more... It's ironic because I thought I was like controlling my mental health with booze, really. That was like my way of kind of dampening my anxiety. But actually, the next day you have absolutely no control. Like you can't just get it out of your system. Your mind will take you to places that are like unimaginable. Whereas now I just feel like I have a bit more of a handle on my mental health. That's not to say I don't struggle because I do. But I'm a lot more practical as well. So I like wake up and obviously I'm clear. So I'm like, okay, what do we need to do today? Right, We need to eat better today. We need to go out and get some sun shine we haven't seen daylight in a couple of days so we need to maybe just take a step back from our emails I'm, I'm a lot more mm. pragmatic about it and I feel like I've got a real handle on it because I don't wake up and spiral and then try and piece my night back together and try and find my phone and all those things it just feels like a yeah just like I've got a bit more of a handle mm. on it really and it, yeah I just want to stress it's not to say that it like clears every mental health issue that got but it just thanks it more yeah. manageable personally. yeah that's true that's true i think the older you get life is a is a hell of a juggle and there's a lot of plates to spin and the idea of trying to spin those plates a couple of glasses down is is unworkable it's as simple as that whereas constant clarity gives you a real good chance of, of making things work i think yeah, I always use the like bake off analogy. Like when I was drinking, it was like I was using a wooden spoon to like make my cake bake. So like it's hard. I'm doing it, but it's hard. It's taking a lot longer. Like it's quite tough and it hurts a bit. But then now I feel like sobriety is this like super whizzy stand mixer that I just put my mix in. It's great. It helps me. It makes the process a lot faster. Everything's more streamlined. Everything's smoother. Like that's how I feel about it. I do it. think that. I always think it's like the ultimate level up. I really do. Yeah. And so often when I find an author or a TED talk or something where I think, God, you've really done the thinking. You are switched on. You kind of feel like you're, you're working through your life in the, in the way that I admire. They so often end up being sober. Yeah. Brene Brown, Glennon Doyle, all those people who have just got those, like that thing. And a lot of them, they don't drink. Yeah. So I think, I think we made it quite clear that we think that not drinking is really great. (laughs) Yeah. If we haven't stressed out. Because it's really good. Um, my last couple of questions for you is how do you, how does it sit with you now that your life, because of the work that you do, this part of the work that you do, has ended up being defined by your sobriety? Is that ever something that weighs heavy? Is yeah, how does that sit with you? Yeah, it's interesting actually, because I think it does seep into my personal life with people I don't know. People I do already know, I barely speak to mm. about sobriety. Like we will only speak about it in a work capacity. They'll say, like, what's going yeah. on with work, how are the meetups going, things like that. They won't ever actually ask me about my sobriety per se, and, and it's never an awkward conversation. They don't ever pressure me to drink. It rarely comes up. But I mean, like I went on a hen do a few months ago and the sister of the bride had organized it. 
And she was really worried that I, I think she'd seen my stuff, seen me talk about sobriety. And I think she was really worried about how I was going to be on the hen. Cause yeah. so my, my friend Emma said to me, Oh, you know, my sister actually said that you were a really good laugh. And I was like, yeah, I am a really good laugh. Like, why have people got this perception that I'm not? So that I sometimes yeah. struggle with because I just do think that people have this gut reaction to like sobriety is oh they're gonna be really uptight they're gonna be really boring and that's like always been one of the things that like one of the stigmas I've wanted to smash is that I'm like I'm really normal I love a night out like I'm one of the girls like I'm fun I'm still I'm still so me so so that I do struggle with but apart from that like I love it because it just it was like I stumbled across a secret that like changed my life and I love sharing that with people and I get Mm. so many amazing incredible emails and dms from people who have like read the book and said you know like i've done this i've taken it out of my life and i've had this like miracle and it's it's like just seeing yourself like a few years ago and being like wow that's like amazing so i mean i love it and the people who are already in my life know that i'm fun and i don't have no. to prove anything to them so it doesn't really bother me if strangers think that i'm an uptight arsehole and you know what <laughs> being boring is kind of great as well you know i, I kind of i yeah. kind of really relish the fact that i i like put sleep quite high on my list etc etc but I yeah. I agree it, it's it's so humbling and amazing if someone messages you and says oh, as you did to me but then I hope I've paid that board a few times so I've decided to fight finally 100%. give up because of you and it, and it's not I don't take credit for that but if I can help be this you know the thing that tips the balance it gives people the confidence to give it a go that I think we, we're both equally passionate about that Sobriety isn't the only answer. Alcohol isn't wrong, but it's definitely a positive and people should consider it and just try it. And yeah. Yeah, you don't need to talk about alcohol from like the bad point. This is just offering like a perspective of how sobriety could be really good for you. And I mean, even people will sometimes message me and say, oh, I'm not completely sober, but I have like really cut back on my drinking. And I'm like, yeah. go you, that is amazing. Like you don't have to no. apologize. Like, any kind of relationship alcohol change, I think is incredible. I'm not like, you need to be absent to be in the club. Like that's not no. how it is. I just want people to see that actually there is a benefit. I mean, the thing that I keep saying lately is like the, the strap line of the new update edition, which is like why drinking less means living more. That's all I want to put into the world is that actually if you do a little less drinking, you can do a little bit more living and that's kind of it. For, for reference, I'm a Pisces and I'm quite a bit wobbly. And so that is making me want to cry. And that, that is all it is it is like we've got one crack at this we've got one crack at this and of course have the glass of red wine if you want but man life with absolute clarity is a gift because I want to log all of it in my head I want I I want it to be there I don't want it to be blurred and especially the nights out with people I love especially people's weddings especially any kind of celebration and actually even if we're talking about funerals I want to feel all of that I want to be 100% in the room and that alcohol yeah gives me and that, not having alcohol gives me the chance to do that so yeah I actually met um a really young Muslim girl a couple of months ago and we were talking about the fact that her family doesn't drink and I just said oh how do you feel about the fact that you won't ever drink and she said, oh, I feel fine about it. She said, I just like the idea that I'm living life exactly as it is. And I was like, wow. <laughs> she was like 17. I was like, that's so profound. Like that, that is all it is. You're living it, not blurred, not altered. Like you're just seeing it mm. unfiltered. And yeah, it can be shit sometimes, but it can also be amazing. Exactly that. <laughs> she knows. I'm going to steal, steal that quote now as well. Um, two questions before I end. Where can people find you and what do you want to shout about? Or is there anything you want to shout about? Oh, um, people can find me at Millie Gooch or at Sober Girl Society. The main thing I would like to shout about is that we have an updated edition of the book coming out in December. Um, so that's going to have an extra chapter on it, which is going to talk all things sober curiosity. So there is quite a heavy focus on abstinence in the book because that was my story and that's what worked for me. But I wanted to include a lot more for people who were just thinking about cutting down and not quitting entirely. So I don't want to dissuade anyone that thinks that abstinence is scary. So I think uh, moderation and cutting down is a good first step for anyone. I agree. So that is called the Sober Girl Society Handbook and it's available at all places that you get books. It is, all usual books. And my second question, if you could have, no, my second and my final question, if you could have an honest conversation with one person, who would it be and what would you say? Oh... I mean, at this point, probably my ex-boyfriend. Yeah, and maybe you don't want to necessarily say it on a podcast, but 
<laughs> yeah. But say all the stuff. Yeah, I, th- I think him probably. I don't know. There's actually lots of people. Oh, do you know what? I'd love to have an honest conversation with Princess Diana. That'd be Again, already, already wobbly. Anything in particular? Just <laughs> yeah. to see if she was okay. Was she was- yeah, just to ask, yeah, what happened and how is she? I've, I've been reading a lot about her lately. I don't know why I feel quite drawn to Princess oh, because, Diana. Because so. you, can, you can sense her pain. And I think as you get older and you begin to realise how old she was at your age uh, you know that's the bit that was mind-blowing yeah. to me in the crown which I know isn't real but it gives you a pretty good sense you're like she was so young yeah 100% so Princess yeah, Diana and then some telepathic words to your ex-boyfriend that, that, that we can yeah. fill in the gaps for yeah that you would have to bleep out yeah <laughs> I, I can imagine I can imagine um well, thank you so much it's been everything I hoped it would be and I, I kind of feel oh, like we need to do you. this annually and yeah, oh my god, a hundred percent. Because I think we'll always have new things to say, will we? Yeah, definitely. I mean, every time I think I've like learned everything that there is about sobriety and emotions, I'm like, oh, no one. And like, I mean, you have new challenges mm. all the time. This, what I'm going through now, mm. is a new challenge. You'll have different mm-hmm. challenges. Like, I mean, there'll probably be a point. I don't know if your kids really ask you now, mm. when they you need to yeah. talk to them about alcohol and things like that. There's always going to be new new conversations around this, so it's not just one conversation and done. I think, yeah, we could definitely. Yeah, do that, and maybe I'll get to see you in real life at some point. Oh, well, that made me feel everything that I hoped it would make me feel. I really can't believe that last time Millie and I spoke, I was still on the fence about whether sobriety was... Actually, I don't even think that I realised sobriety was what I wanted. I knew that I was unhappy with drinking, but I didn't know what the next steps would hold. But as I made perfectly clear in the episode, it has been the single best thing I've ever done for myself. I feel constantly grateful for my choices in fact I was at a family friend's wedding this weekend and weddings are one of those ones where I have to remind myself of of why I do this because there's free-flowing champagne there's a lot of people that I love there it's a happy occasion my brain goes okay let's have a glass it'll be all right it's a perfect setting but actually if I can wiggle through that initial part when I think I want one and then crack on with the rest of the night by the time I go home, and even more so by the next morning, I just feel absolutely delighted that A, I made a choice that works for me, B, as I said in the podcast, that I can remember every single moment of the night. And yeah, and that the great, amazing wedding doesn't then have to be a negative because it affects my Monday or Tuesday with a hangover. In fact, I can just enjoy the wedding for what it is and begin my week as normal. So yeah. Life without alcohol, for me, really is brilliant and I don't ever want to look like I'm a point of judgement for anyone else, but I really do invite people to look at it for themselves. And thank you, Millie, for our conversation today, but also for the really quite watershed moment that our conversation back in February 2019 was. It was really amazing. So that's a wrap. That's another episode of But White Done. So grateful to have you here. Join me next week for more chats. And in the meantime, please do rate, review, subscribe, tell your mates about it. Get in touch on butwhy at See you next week. Bye.